Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Gary Jones is continuing a series on John, where Jesus demonstrates what it means to love one another with a final act of service, washing the feet of his disciples. It's a picture of humility and choosing to be a servant to everyone, even if they're your enemy or abandon you. As a response to Jesus' love towards you, what does it look like for you to love others? After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, which you can find on our website right under the worship service video. Now, here's today's teaching. Our vision here at this church is to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and make him known. And um, this morning, I was just kind of reflecting a few things. Uh, I love the state of Oregon. I love our church. I love this city. A few things that Oregon's let me down on. Um, I love big fireworks. I love the big noise, you know. And I was just like, let's get some fireworks. And then everyone let me know, like, you got to get the illegal Idaho fireworks. So uh, any of you guys got those tonight, invite me over. Um, And then a couple other things, you know, this isn't a letdown, but just the water's cold. I mean, people say... Like the kids here, they're crazy and they're like, yeah, the water's warm. I'm like, it's never warm in Oregon. Maybe the hot springs. I heard they're sketchy. And then the third thing is, um, the third thing is barbecue. Now this is just a thing. Like if you meet anybody from out of state, when you guys say barbecue, traditionally it's like ribs and a rack ribs and everything else. And so uh, it just cracks me up that people call uh, hot dogs barbecue. It's okay. I love hot dogs too. Um, just tell me it's a cookout so I won't have this missed expectation, but I do love it here. Um, the main point this morning, you can go ahead and write this down from the beginning is to love one another. That's the main point. And to intro this idea, I have one word for you, foot washing. Now, I don't know if you guys have been part of a foot washing ceremony, if you've been in church or an event. Um, I, I've seen it at a wedding. My sister actually did it. It's pretty cool. I get the idea. I totally like it. Um, raise your hand if you've like seen or been part of a foot washing situation before. Okay, so pretty big numbers. Well, uh, I have a story of a foot washing situation. Is that better here? Shout out to the neighbors. Gotta be loud and proud. So a foot washing situation. I was at summer camp. It was 2005. Uh, it was in Southern Illinois. And we had, I don't know, probably 400 students there, and they said, we're going to do a foot washing. It was for evening service. Um, they had 10 stations where they set up and said, come, just go to the closest one to you. And so here's a camp full of 400 students, and everybody's getting in line. And it's real, like, they set the tone for it. It's really somber. It's, it's kind of beautiful. They probably had some quiet music playing in the background. And as we are about to go uh, get our feet washed, you know, it's it's everyone's dressed in white like the camp staff is they got white towels they got white little basins just a fancy word for bowls but they got this whole ceremony set up and so um we're about to do this and i have a, a inner struggle going on which is uh the fact that i'm a football player and i just got back from football camp probably like 40 50 guys two showers you know hot summer sun and so i got athlete's foot and so I'm like, okay, how's this going to work? And uh, I'm just thinking of all the, uh, all the people at camp that, you know, I could share with. And so uh, I just prepared as I'm like going up to the, to, to the wash basin to tell the lady. And I was like trying to whisper to her. I was like, we're not supposed to talk. I'm like, hey, uh, here's this thing. And uh, everybody's like, come on. And I'm just like, no, but here, I, and they're just like, I look up at her and she's like, put your foot in the bowl. So 
Everybody at uh, Oil Belt Christian Camp uh, 2005, I apologize if you're watching online uh, for the great athlete's foot out, outbreak. Uh, boom, tough acting to Nacton. Um, and so it's actually, yeah, it is actually from the Bible. It's from this passage. Um, and so just think about camp staffers today. <laughs> this is actually serious. Pray for them. You know, they go through it. They go through crazy things. And uh, as we actually pray for them, pray for us, for our church. We're going to high school camp in a couple weeks. And um, as we're getting prepared for that, you know, everything I'm doing is just preparing. I'm answering phone calls as I'm preparing this message. It's just like 10 minutes on, 10 minutes off, 10 minutes on. And so we're preparing. And in this story in John chapter 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come next. And so if you look at 12, uh, kind of this shift in the story, we're getting into the second half. He makes a shift. Jesus does um, from turning his attention to the Jews and, and everything he's trying to say to them, he takes his attention and turns it towards his disciples. And so this very end of the passage is all about him talking with his disciples. And in John 13 of John's account, uh, we begin to hear these final words as he tells his disciples that he'll leave this world and return to the Father. And so um, actually chapters 13, 14, 15, and then it ends in uh, 16 and 17 is a prayer. It's what is called the final discourse, the farewell discourse. And so it's unique to John's gospel. So it's kind of cool. It's only in John's gospel. And here's why I think it's important for us this morning, because uh, we're going to have this question, what does it mean to love one another? And I think we could all come up with answers. This morning, we could all come up with uh, ways to love one another. I know uh, one way that we're encouraging is just after church to invite friends to your house, to be friendly to your neighbors, to to celebrate and live life and have community with others. Um, other ways that we could even think about it is to be friendly. Uh, but here's the thing. In, in John 13, Jesus isn't actually giving a pep talk to his disciples. He's not saying, like, here's a few good things to do. What he's doing is he's giving an explanation for them to have a deeper understanding of the gospel, of the reason he came, of the great rescue that God put in place since the beginning of time, and so this morning, my prayer for us is that we not only understand greater the gospel, but actually experience it. And so in verse 1, we see these beautiful words that Jesus says, uh, that John writes about, that he loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I think right there at the very beginning, we can take some comfort. We can take comfort that Jesus, like no matter what you're going through, where you are, he sees you, he loves you. And he loves you to the end. And right there, you know, when we feel distant from God, we can feel comfort in that. And he demonstrates this love that he starts to speak of by this uh, act of foot washing. And so in ancient times, um, what would happen is a meal would be a typical place for some teaching. And so in this story, they have a table. There's couches that are surrounding the meal. And typically what it looks like is that you're reclining on a couch. Your, your upper body is facing the food, but your feet are out away from the food. And so someone would come around the circle of people while they were being taught or as the night began, and they would wash the feet. And so you would see someone who is a servant wash feet. Sometimes you might even see someone's wife um, or even someone's child. Uh, but in this story, it's pretty interesting uh, that it's done very differently. It's actually done... Um, it says after the meal. And so you see that this is actually... Uh, showing that Jesus' last act on earth would be an act of service. And it's done by, again, Jesus, who instead of uh, what you would normally see, the servant doing it, here's the teacher 
Um, you would normally see the disciples serving their teacher while here the teachers serving his disciples. And so counterculturally, he wipes, he wraps the towel around his waist. Counterculturally, he washes his disciples' feet. And it would have been so different for them that we see Peter um, just questions the whole thing and basically puts up his hand in a way and says, stop, you're not going to do this. And so in verse 7, we're going to look at verse 7. Jesus says, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but someday you will understand. And again, this is actually pretty relatable. How many things in our life is going on, situations, circumstances that we look at and we say like, God, why this? I don't understand. What, what could this be happening for? And so um, it's relatable because we can't always see the gospel thread in what's going on in our lives. We can't see what God is doing. We can't see the future, but we can trust that in this situation that we're presently in, that God is doing something. And I love what Jesus' half-brother in the book of James says when he says that these things are making us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the next verse, after Jesus says, you don't understand, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, I don't need to wash you. If I do not wash you, excuse me, you have no share with me. So we start to see Jesus' symbolism here. He's saying, if I don't cleanse you of your filthiness, you will not be able to be with me in relationship. And so a few, a few verses down, um, there's conversation between Peter and Jesus. A few verses down, picking back up in verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example, just as you should do, as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So here we start to get this picture of humility. Jesus is saying, a servant's not greater than their master. And, and he's saying, like, here I am. I'm the son of God, uh, the word made flesh. I'm far above others to serve. And yet the full story here in the example of washing, it's not just about the feet and washing the filth off their feet, but it's, it's about him choosing to be a servant towards those who would actually, as we see in this story, abandon him. Um, we see he is saying basically to them, for your whole life, like moving forward from now on, it's, to, it's your challenge, your call, your um, desire should be to wash the feet of your neighbors and just like he examples to them, even when they're your enemies. And so a few chapters later, we see a bigger picture explained of the gospel, this great scandal um, of washing feet. A greater scandal is just that Jesus dies on a cross. He takes our punishment and shame. And what he does is um, something that gives us a relationship with God and through his work on the cross, we, all, we can also have that empowerment to honor other people above ourselves. And so let's look at that question. How do we really love one another? Well, it's a response. Jesus loves all of these disciples, these, these guys that he lived life with. And out of that love, they can flow loving others. Uh, there's a story that CNN did a few years back about a woman in Rwanda. And... Um, it was, this, it was this horrible circumstance where a man uh, that was a member of a mob murdered her husband and her five children. And this man, um, he goes to prison for seven years. And after seven years, 
he goes before the village, the community, before a tribal council and says, hey, I want to ask forgiveness from the community, and he asks for forgiveness from this woman. Well, this woman says, I forgive you. Uh, this woman had made friends with the man's wife and actually became uh, good friends with her. They made baskets together. They, were, they joined a business together. And this woman, uh, on the day that she was interviewed, had people over in her house, and when they were in her house, uh, she not only gave them food, but this man who murdered her husband and family, she serves him. And the reporter was kind of blown away and was like, hey, how can you let this man be in your house? How can you even serve him? And she said two things. She just simply put, said, I'm a Christian and I pray a lot. And we see from this woman's example, just this transformation that happens from the gospel. I mean, can you imagine, look over here at the student section. Think about the kids that are in our church right now worshiping and being taught. Can you imagine someone taking five of your children's life and lives and then actually choosing to forgive that person and then choosing to serve that person? It's pretty mind-blowing. And I think left to our own resources, it is inconceivable of how we could do this. But it's just the truth and the reality that the gospel really does change everything. And so this whole next section about um, after the foot washing is about the betrayal of Judas and about how Jesus was troubling his spirit. Um, we read about how the word used for troubled is the same word. You guys might remember back in chapter 5 when Josh preached about the pool that was stirred up for the healing. Jesus is stirred with emotion here. And we, we just see two things here from John about Jesus. We see him in his deity that he can foresee the betrayal of Judas. But we also see him in great humanity that he's troubled, that he's distressed, that, it, that it's um, just distressing his spirit. And so... In this moment, we see these three characters. We, besides Jesus, we see Peter, we see John, we see Judas. This is actually, I believe, the first time that John is referenced in his own book when he says the disciple that Jesus loved is reclining next to him. And so they're all asking, who's going to do it? Who's going to betray Jesus? And John, um, sitting next to Jesus, is motioned by Peter. Hey, ask him who he's talking about. Jesus says, this uh, piece of bread that I dip in the cup, it's going to be the betrayer, the one that I give it to. He gives it to Judas. It's not completely clear whether when he gives it to him, it's, it's public in front of everybody. Some believe that it might actually have been a private act so that John, being the disciple Jesus loved, also was the only one that saw the betrayal of Judas and here can write about it afterwards, confirming the deity of Jesus that he predicted the betrayal. And so uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's scary stuff here. It says a scary sounding statement that Jesus says after he dipped it, Satan entered into him. Um, into Judas, and we don't really have time to like dive into all this, but if you're interested, come talk to me afterwards. There's some interesting stuff about um, just about Judas in this passage. One of the things being that it says he was chosen um, or he was not chosen, and so there's a lot of debate on that throughout history, but for this morning, we'll say that it means he was not chosen. Um, there's also this, uh, there's commentary on just our lives, like the flame in our lives being like a furnace and Satan stoking that flame, but we're without excuse, like the fire is ourselves. Um, there's also a great illustration about a piano, but Jesus tells Judas to go out and do this quickly. And, and what he's telling him, he's not saying, go out and betray me, but he's saying, like, he's calling out, I know you're going to do this. And so he's just making that statement about Judas. And when Jesus uh, lets him go out, he tells them, um, just these humbling next statements. Uh, when Judas is gone, Jesus says in 31, 
through 35. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember, Jesus here is preparing them for what's to happen on the cross. And I think uh, the humbling part of this is Jesus washed the feet of him who would betray him. Jesus washed the feet of all these disciples that would disperse, that would leave him in his great hour of need. And what he's doing, he's preparing them for the cross. He's helping them see this view that the cross was a place traditionally of shame and punishment. But what God was going to do is take the cross and he was going to glorify Christ and he was going to put on display for the whole world to see the immeasurable goodness of God that he would. I just, I love John three sixteen that that he would so love the world that he would send his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so we just see all these exchanges where this man did not deserve to be punished. He would put on display God's love to lavish all of those who did justly deserve the punishment. And why does he say in this passage, a new command I give you? If you've read the Bible, you know that this actually isn't the first time that you see that we're called to love one another. In the Old Testament, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus confirms it when he says the second great, greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. So why here does he say a new commandment? Well, when he says love one another, um, in this passage, he, he references as I have loved you. And he's foreshadowing the cross. And he's saying, I want this to be so chief in your life that it's not a commandment that you live for a while and forget over time. But it is the one thing that you always put before yourself, that you never forget that I am headed this very night to the finished work of the cross to do this work, and that I always want you to remember this. He's saying um, to love each other as I loved you. He gave everything. And so for us this morning, um, we can see a couple chapters later in chapter 15 when he says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. We see this Jesus who gave everything. What does it look like for us this morning to love others like Jesus loved. I think about the unlovely, the oppressed, and I just think about those people that don't love us back. Um, how do we love like this? We got to stop. We got to have a heart check and just look inside and say, okay, am I doing this? Like, how do I do this? Um, God, will you reveal to me the people that you want me to love? Will you reveal to me those that I don't see, those that I'm choosing not to see? And even when I feel, the, the people I don't feel like loving, I just think about anytime you're in a crowd, um, as a youth pastor, this is just kind of like, it's part of the MO, you got to have your head on a radar for those that don't have anybody talking to them. Um, whether it be in a, a group setting, at a camp, um, whether you're at a party, like it's easy for us to look around and the term that we like to use today is we like to be around people that are life-giving to us. And I just think Jesus in this passage is completely flipping that and saying, be around people. Here he's being around someone who betrays him and his life is taken. And so he's saying, that's how you love. That's how you love one another, that you give all without respecting in return. I was talking with the youth pastor this week and he said, um, yeah, sometimes students just show up with their sin and they just say like, hey, this is me. This is who I am. Like, 
I'm keeping hold of this. You can deal with it. And his response is what I think probably any good youth pastor would say. He said, we just love them. And eventually that wall comes down a lot of times and they start engaging with God and responding. And I love how Jesus, um, this command, when he says, love one another, he raises the stakes and says, as I have loved you. And so it's definitely just a message for our culture. I think we live in a culture where people will say, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. And here Jesus is saying, yeah, when people disagree with you, love them. He, he's saying the opposite. And I think um, we can see in culture where even Christians, pe- people that profess Jesus, they say, yeah, this person's wrong. I'm going to fight with them. And Jesus says, if we're disciples, we'll be known by our love. And I think um, there's a perfect little break check here. Um, you know, just thinking of this, this group and, and all of us that are believers, and it says people will know us by our love. I think there's this break check because we can easily say like, oh, yeah, people know I'm a Christian because of my great commitment to Jesus. And really, that's not how we are, are showing that we're Christian. But it, it's like this flip again, where in our love for people, the display is look at the beauty of Jesus commitment to me, even when I wasn't committed to him. And so it's all on him. All the glory goes to him. All the credit goes to Jesus and where he is and his love towards us, his commitment towards us. And I think it's a struggle. If we're honest, we can say, yeah, it's hard. I I revert back to my own ways. Um, I live my own life. I do things that give me pleasure. And uh, we can be honest this morning and just say, you know, as a response to the gospel and living from the gospel is that we are by Jesus' blood, set free to love others. And so are you set free this morning to love one another? Um, One more explanation that this little passage where where he's talking about disciples, um, yes, it is a challenge. It is a call. Is it a charge for all of us to love everyone equally? But there really is a beauty um, here with the disciples, here with people that love Jesus in loving one another as believers. Um, the call is to all image bearers everywhere, but there is a beauty. Uh, there's a connection. There is a strong love. When we, when we all say, I'm going to put your needs above my own. I'm going to humbly stoop down to serve you. I'm going to give without expecting return. There, there's a sweetness in Christian community. So in this uh, message this morning, I just want to notice in the final verses in 36 through 38, we see again, a tough passage. Uh, we see Peter say, I'll go with you to the death. I, I will not leave. Um, I'm with you, Jesus. And we see Jesus correct him. We see Jesus say, actually, as we read in the other gospels, um, you're going to deny me. And when the rooster crows, Peter will know that he's denied Jesus. But there is an encouragement in this. There's something for comfort. Um, because for me, when I look at this question, like, do I love one another? How, how do I love others? What does my love for others look like? How am I loving uh, the unlovely? When am I complaining about yeah, this, this, this person or this situation wasn't life-giving to me. Uh, I, I'm really convicted by stuff like that, uh, but I think there's encouragement in the end of this. Um, look at how slow the disciples are to understand Jesus' teachings. Look at how slow the disciples are um, to own their own brokenness, to just say, yeah, I'm so broken that I do need my feet washed. I'm so broken that I could never be with God without Jesus. Look at how slow they are to figure this out. I think there's encouragement for people like you and me, people who, if we're honest, can say, we are weak. 
We need the strength of Jesus to serve others every single day. There is an encouragement here because it says we have a patient teacher and we have a merciful savior that saves us, not because we deserve it, but because of his great love. And so um, just like for Peter, Jesus not only foresees our denials, but he also foresees our restoration, which is a beautiful thing that we're going to get to look forward to towards the end of the book. So in response to the work of Jesus on the cross, I want to encourage you this morning with these words from Hebrews 10. Let us draw near in faith. Let us hold fast to hope. And let us think how to stir one another to love. Let's bow and pray. God, as we just gather uh, in this season, we gather this summer, um, just out here in the sun, having fun, enjoying fellowship with each other, singing songs to praise you. God, help us to get the truth that you want us to get from the book of John. God, help us to understand all of these truths about us, that we have a Savior, we have a Jesus who stoops down and washes the feet of all present. God, of 12 disciples, um, of one that would betray him, of one that would deny him, of others that would abandon him in his greatest time of need, we have a Jesus who is a patient teacher and a merciful Savior. And God, as we reflect on these truths from John chapter 13, God, I just pray for all of us uh, gathered, all of us online, all of us in this church that call Northwest Hills home, Lord, that we would just look into our hearts and say, God, help me love others, not just like I want to, not like just is comfortable or easy for me. Help me love the unlovely. God, help me love like you have loved. Help me love with this greater love. And God, as you convict our hearts, help us to just respond to the gospel. God, this understanding the gospel is part of the picture, but help us daily to wake up and respond and say, there's a reality. There was a person of Jesus who was fully man and fully God. And he came to this earth. God, you sent him as a great rescue plan for us sinners to be able to have a path to you. And God, as, as we study and reflect on what he's done, help us to respond to this finished work of Jesus, to daily say, in light of the gospel, how am I living my life? How am I loving others? And Lord, as you convict our hearts, we also pray um, for people to enter in relationship for that first time response to the gospel. You, you say in your word that if we believe, we'll be saved. And God, just this belief, um, it's something that changes every aspect of our very lives. We pray for people to receive that. And God, help us as a church, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week to live our lives in a way to make you known, to, to extend our hands, to love people. And when they ask, share with them because the gospel changes everything. We just praise you this morning. Thank you so much, God, for letting us be together. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.